Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. St. Mark, the apostles came back to Jesus. They told him all they had done and taught. Jesus said to them, come away with me. Let's go alone to a quiet place and rest for a while. Many people were coming and going and they could not even eat. So they went away in a boat to a lonely place by themselves that seems to articulate in a short form what our Lord had promised to all who came to him come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest it seems to articulate in an image what the Lord means when he says to have true rest Clearly, our Lord wanted to take the apostles aside to give them that opportunity to rest a place in a situation in an area where they could be deeply formed. This rest was not a time just to chill out and do nothing and sort of watch TV kind of thing. they, They went there to integrate more deeply the meaning of everything that he had said, the very meaning of all the miracles, all the events, all the astonishing things that had happened, even the things that were negative, the, the, the reticence of some of the, of the Pharisees, how they had left their wives, some of them, how they had left their homes, they had left their jobs. And uh, the sheer intensity of being with Jesus now had to be integrated more deeply. The, The true value of all of this, the value of their own lives, they were kind of letting it all sink in deep. That was the purpose of rest, to really step into a mode of receptivity. And of course, upon doing that, it was important that they not stay superficial on all his teachings, all the things that he had said, all the references to the prophecies and to Moses, to the law. They could not just understand this, just more or less, and wing it. They could not just stay on the surface. And he wanted them to be deeply formed. The good news had to be deeply integrated into their understanding. They knew that they would later have to transmit this to others. They knew they would have to write about it. They would have to be like good transmission lines of everything that they had received. And so that moment of rest with the apostles is a good opportunity for us today on a Sunday to examine if we have really integrated well the idea of rest in our life. We go on annual courses, 
we go to rest there, we go to a special place outside of the city usually as best we can. But what does it really mean to, a, to be a person who knows how to rest? Am I, am I a person that really knows how to habitually rest, not just once a year now, but like on vacation, on an annual course, but what does it really mean? And do I habitually enter into a time of rest in a way that really restores, truly restores me? Not just a time of fun, a time of amusement, but a way that I'm really truly enriched and serene. We know that burnout is so prevalent among us today. Many people fall into this burnout. The, the very image burnout, it, it sounds like an engine that has been running too fast and just going all the way and staying almost in neutral. Right? The, it doesn't seem to advance. And, uh, and this has happened to a, a lot of people, and, and not necessarily because they work a lot, but maybe because their relationship to work has been somehow uh, hampered. You, know, you could take pe two people that work the same amount of hours every day, and every week, and so forth, but one will burn out, the other one will not. The other one will just keep going, like the Duracell battery, just, just keep going, right? And, and yet the amount of work they do is more or less uh, similar, but it's the relationship, their inner relationship to that to that work that they do. Often, or the cause of uh, burnout is maybe they feel they're not good enough, they feel they're too weak, they're not effective enough in what they do in their life. They might feel sort of not properly integrated in the place. They, they feel maybe parked in a corner. They they're, don't really value themselves that much. You know, when, when the Lord... Uh, took his disciples out, we hear here that from St. Mark that, it, uh, that they, they went out in a boat, so they went out into the open, into the ocean, in a place, uh, you know, there were no obstacles, if you like, they, they could look out, they would sit by the, by the seashore and look out into the distance, you know, the, the gaze of the eye would go far. In fact, it's a, it's a good thing if you're, if you're really weighed down by a lot of worries and stress, should you go to a place where you're gaze reaches far. There's a place on the 401 that is, uh, I'm just trying to think where it is now, but it's in the, it's, it's, yeah, it's just before the cutoff to the 427 in which it, one sees the entire, you know, magnificent range of lanes of the 401 in one huge gaze where you can see well into the distance and you think, I have to go through all that, you know? <laughs> you, have to, you just see trucks and cars, but you just, you just get a good look at it, you know? Normally you just see the next car in front of you, but now you just see the whole 24 lanes, and oh my God, it's just, you know? But at the same time, it's, uh, you say, okay, well, I know where I'm going, I, I know what's happening, and uh, okay, I know what the next uh, 30 minutes in traffic is gonna be like. You know? And uh, th it gives you a certain, I don't know if you would say meaning, but uh, uh, at least there's a certain existential meaning of what's happening. And that's what the ocean does. It shows you a wide expanse. Huh? 
and that way they could look deep into the future and uh, he would tell them to image now and imagine the great good that they could do in this redemptive mission that they were going to undertake the, the, that they were going to be involved in this historic and very important redemptive mission for the rest of the world and uh, they were literally he would tell them you guys are the new tribes of Israel however great you thought the tribes of Israel you were, this is even greater this is something great and it led them to dream it led them to think in grand terms they conjured up a deep deep sense of mission and these voices of Jesus stayed with them after they became the this became the inner voice of the each apostle all those dreams that the Lord ignited in them all the thoughts uh, all the meaning of his mission the purpose of why he came to earth he would have described what it means to be the Son of God that it means to be the second person of the Blessed Trinity the Holy Spirit maybe they didn't quite understand everything but as they went about their life after 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 the ascension the, the, the voice of Jesus resonated and they they were kind of like protected from too negative a voice in their heart in their in their mind too they were no they were not critical of themselves too critical of themselves this was not echoing in their heart you cannot be an apostle and undertake the deep mission that they undertook and 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 the martyrdom that they face if you have a a doubtful critical voice in your in your mind are you sure you want to do this is this really all that good am i all that valuable you know is this really all that good what we're doing here this thing of of jesus on the cross and resurrected are you sure he's resurrected no, no that's not what they're thinking we must give this treasure to thousands of souls we have no time to waste Jesus has given them this great, great mission, the greatest grace in their life. You know, when we talk about our vocation, we have to be able to say, this is the greatest grace in my life, the greatest gift that God has ever given me. We have to talk about, the, we have to talk about, talk about it in those terms. They had all the tools they needed to face these challenges. He was available to them to listen to their problems, to listen to their fears as they were there in that place of rest. So it was like the essential truth of what they were all about focused in in the most absolute sort of intense way imaginable. They were just in total mode of receptivity. And of course... He continues to be available to us today. He doesn't criticize us. That, that inner voice that we may hear sometimes about our own work, about our own life, about the things we have to do, we must listen to the voice of Jesus. What does it sound like? It's not a voice of criticism. It's not a tisk-tisk. It's without judgment. He orients us. He encourages us. It's okay. You'll get through this. 
I know it's hard. You did a good job talking to that young lady. That, that was good. That, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. That, that, that. That's good. You know, That was a good idea to invite her. And so the first thing we have to recognize is that we all have this interior voice that gives us a kind of a running commentary of our life. You see sports uh, games and there's a commentary. And now, okay, he's talking to the coach. And now, yes, we can see he is talking to the coach. Okay. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's, you know, they're just commenting. They have no idea what's going on, but they're just talking. And now there's going to be a first down. Yes, we can see that. And they're just talking. They're, they're, you're watching and you're hearing the commentary. And that's what our inner voice is. It's like the, the sports commentary of every single thing that we do. And sometimes the inner voice is good, but very often it is not a good voice. It's a negative voice. It's a critical voice. And it can be very destructive. And that's often what's behind burnout. This constant negative voice. And that voice tends to repeat itself. It's like an ongoing repeating the same dumb things. You're putting on weight. Uh, uh, you don't have much willpower. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't think others really care about what you think. It's not that brilliant what you think. You know, you're just, uh, they, they can be such a pain in the neck. You know? Nobody really loves you. Don't exaggerate. And those kind of words, you know. And this inner voice tends to color everything we do. It puts a negative cloud. It would have been the, that, that voice is the complete opposite of the inner voice of the Lord Jesus when he was there with the apostles. You know, Matthew, that was that was a good way of saying that. Good, Matthew. Okay. Now, you know, you have a very important task. You have to remember all this stuff. You have to remember all the connections with the Old Testament because that's going to be your role. So you're doing good. It was like an encouraging, upbeat drive to undertake that mission. Or what he would have said to Peter. Or what he would have said to Nathaniel, Andrew. And so that's what causes, when we have this negative voice in our heads, it's what causes our worries. It's what causes our stress. It's what is ultimately behind the burnout. And, and, and nevertheless, it is important to remember that 90% of the things that we do worry about, indeed 90% of the negative inner voice we hear, those things that stress us, 90% don't actually happen. They don't, they don't act happen they you know in our mind in our body nevertheless live them as though they were real you know, the psychiatrists they talk about cortisol and oh, whatever you're secreting when you're nervous and you know the but but it it can that inner voice can put us on this permanent mode of agitation of being alert it's like high alert like a soldier who goes into battle He's on high alert. Where, where, where could the enemy be coming from? Where's the next, you know, artillery fire? Of course, that uh, they get. You can imagine why they have uh, PTSD. They're always on ultimate alert. 
I was reading that book by uh, Maria Rojas Estapie, and she says that if you really listen to that inner voice, she says, uh, well, it can be toxic. It can weaken you. And she says we have to unlock that voice by a kind of uh, interior renovation process, a renovation on the inside, interior renovation. Particular a renewal of that voice, the tone of that voice that we constantly hear. She invites to people to, to speak well of themselves, to heal those wounds, uh, ask for help from those who love us, who care about us, open our hearts, forgive those who have done us any form of harm, remove any grudges inside so that the inner voice gets changed into a beautiful soprano or a nice tenor you know, that is beautiful to listen to. This opens us to a way to free ourselves so that we can really rest. Because that bad, negative voice, if we can just identify it when it appears, it can do a lot of damage. And so during this time of summer, we've begun now with July, we, we are at rest, we are working, but we want to learn truly how to rest, to be in this kind of receptive state, just like those apostles were. I mean, they must have been receiving, they must have been taking in all this stuff that our Lord was taking, was telling them, and it wasn't overwhelming them. I think to be at rest is, is to be in a state of reception of God's goodness, receive all his love for us, sort of seep ourselves deeply into the real meaning of divine filiation, where that's, that's the voice of God the Father that we want to hear. Steep ourselves in God's creation. It's good. That's why when we go for a time of rest or an excursion, we go outside the city and we try to experience God's creation. We walk through the woods. We go through a path in the woods and, and you can see... Uh, the poplars shake in the wind. The poplars are waving at you. We hear the, the, the chirping of the, of the birds, the hustle of the, of the trees in the wind, the, the smell of, of the flowers in bloom. It's all experiencing God's wonderful creation. I, th I suppose one could do it somewhat also in the city. I mean, just go through the alley and at one point you'll find, a, you know, <laughs> something. You'll find a bush or something, I don't know, and smell the bush. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. But, uh, but creation can be found everywhere. Maybe just go up and look in the sky and see the clouds. And this is certainly what the apostles understood so deeply when they were there with Jesus, he was telling them about the history of creation, what it was like to be there at the very beginning, what it was like to be there when the earth was formed, when the seas were formed, when the trees and the animals were first formed. Maybe that's why St. John begins his gospel with that phrase, in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning, and the Word was God. 
He was harking back to what he had heard from our Lord himself, that our Lord was there in the beginning. And that's, that's why, you know, when we rest, we call it recreation, recreational time. But it's really because it's recreation. We're re-experiencing God's creation in our life in some way. To be in the deepest meaning of our life, like the seventh day when God rested, he dwelt in the goodness of what creation really was. He dwelt in the goodness, he rested in the greatness of what he had just undertaken in the, seven, in the six days of creation. He's looking at it, he's kind of enjoying it, like an artist who looks at his, at his work of art, especially with what awe he would have looked at man, at you and I, so that he could just enjoy the beauty of his image in man. We were created in the image and likeness of God. There on the seventh day, he was just like making that covenant with man. It was, in fact, it was the very whole purpose of creation to be able to look at it like that on the seventh day. That's when he could do that. And in fact, you could say that God is still now in the seventh day. He's still enjoying the fruits of his creation. And the greatest fruit of his creation is you and me as sons and daughters of God. His sons and daughters. And we must rest in this creation. That's what recreation is all really about. To recreate ourselves. To renew in the depth of our being what it really means to be focused on the goodness of life. Joseph Pieper wrote a famous book called Leisure, The Basis of Culture. It was a very, it's a very profound and beautiful book I r recommend you to read. It was published in 1947 in post-war Germany when Germany was in mode of reconstruction. Many of the countries in Europe had helped them to reconstruct. They didn't want to leave them bitter and anger all alone from the rest of Europe, rebuilding all that they had destroyed because the rest of Europe was also reconstructing. So it was a time of rebuilding, a time of, you know, of reconstructing everything that had been destroyed. But and it would seem that a book on leisure at that time didn't seem to be what was needed but Joseph Pieper explains that it is precisely in this time that leisure has to be taken seriously because it is a time in which we really begin to understand why we are rebuilding, what we are rebuilding for. And uh, maybe not everybody understood his, his focus on leisure, but if you're rebuilding bridges, if you're building uh, you know, new municipal halls, churches, all those fundamental structures of life, you have to know why you're building them. And leisure gives you a focus on that. Many times we have a, a wrong understanding of, of leisure because we have a twisted understanding of work. We have a wrong understanding of rest because we have a, a, a bad understanding of what work is really all about ultimately. We understand work 
as that which is just useful, it's helpful, get things done. And therefore, we get tired and we think of leisure as the place where we can just veg out, you know, do nothing. But true leisure, true rest, really, is, is related more to a skill in which we enrich ourselves into that which is really, truly, most fundamental and most important. It was the, it's the moment of restoration, right? The, where we get a better connection between our rest and our work. We live in a society where there's this propensity towards work, towards careers, towards achieving things, towards technological solutions, uh, where AI does everything for you. And, uh, and it, it, it's all this doing, doing, doing. And rest is really about, about experiencing the true the truth of creation. And, and when we live work like that as a constant movement and activism and voluntarism, there's this refusal to really accept the gift of creation, no matter where it comes from. Many people feel an increasing alienation from what true rest is, this receptivity of leisure from silence, from true prayer, from the Sabbath. You know, now you go into the street and most stores are open on, on Sunday. It's, it's not profitable to close your stores, so they open them. They, there constantly has to be more profit, more stuff sold. But the Sabbath, the Sunday, is, is really a time for silence, for prayer, for worship. Also, you know, when you work on a Saturday, on, on a Sunday, you're going to have to work today to feed people. <laughs> In this case, we happen to have a lot of young people. Well, that's a very deep form of service. You could say it's like a service to the poor, to those in need, to those who can't you know, feed themselves. And that you know, takes on a new color. But think, you know, our father had foreseen that in our work we have the time of the afternoon. He wanted the time of the afternoon kind of to be more contemplative, to be quiet, to not, not talk too much or, or like interrupt ourselves from what he imagined to be a time of maybe intense work but really contemplative work. Or after the exam, we have the night time. where we can bask in his glory, bask in his goodness, bask in resting in him. You know, maybe we can re-examine how we live uh, this time of night. We live in a, an amusement culture, right, that for many people leisure is going to wonder world or wonderland, wonderland, and get freaked out by the roller coasters and enjoy these intense, intense emotions, right? Not necessarily anything as such wrong with that, but it's a very different focus uh, to to rest. It it has more to do with excitement and and fun. But that's for each one of us to discover. So let's ask uh, our Lord, especially during the summer, 
that we can go to him come to me all you who are burdened and labor for I, I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is sweet and my burden is light we ask the Lord to help us discover this I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.